Hi there, and welcome back to Conversations with Father Greg. In today's episode, we have a homily for Sunday, March 3rd, 2024, which is the third Sunday in the season of Lent. We'll begin our time together today with a reading from the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses God's name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or male or female slave, or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The Word of the Lord. May I speak to you in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, hi there, everybody. Many years ago, I had an encounter with a work colleague that has etched a permanent memory in my mind. There were about 30 or 40 of us who were participating in a training workshop. It came time to break for lunch, and we realized that meals were being served buffet-style. As everyone was lining up to get food, I noticed that one of my colleagues was standing ahead of me in line, holding two empty plates. I don't recall exactly what I said, but I made some joke about him being really eager for lunch. Those within the earshot broke into peals of laughter, and we moved on with our day. Or so I thought. Later that evening, that same colleague approached me looking quite disturbed. I could tell something was wrong. As he got closer, he admitted that he had not found my joke nearly as funny as I had, and that he had been genuinely offended. He pushed the issue, asking me what I had been thinking and what had motivated my comment. I was at a complete loss and felt my face flush with embarrassment. I apologized with every ounce of sincerity that I could muster. In the moment... I went for the punchline without considering how it might have landed with him. 
It's been over 30 years, and I have never forgotten how I felt in the moment that he called me out on the situation. Like many people, I've always enjoyed having some fun and frequently use humor as a communication tool. In the right situation, a little humor can cheer a person up, it can ease a tense situation, and it can communicate things in a unique and powerful way. In the moment that I described just now, I learned that humor is like many other tools. It can be used for good, but it can also profoundly hurt others if not used carefully. The conversation that ensued helped me gain a whole new understanding into the shared expectations that help define relationships. My colleague and I were working with a different understanding about what is acceptable and what's funny, and generally what the norms or rules are that governed relationships. Once we each came to a better understanding of where the other was coming from, we were able to enjoy a better work relationship. Today's reading from Exodus also has a lot to say about relationship norms. For context, Moses was leading the people of Israel out of their Egyptian captivity toward freedom in what would become the nation of Israel. We are told that they had paused their journey and were camping at the base of Mount Sinai when God spoke to Moses, inviting him to climb the mountain to have a personal encounter with the divine. It was during that encounter that God gave what have become known as the Ten Commandments. When we examine those commandments, we see that they can be broken down into two categories. The first four have to do with how people relate with God. Worship God only, making our relationship with God a priority. Don't create anything else to take God's place, because that's settling for less than the best. Don't misuse God's name or take God lightly. Set aside one day a week to worship God and to recharge yourself. Each of these are meant to help us maintain a healthy perspective in our relationship with the divine. That leaves us with the second set of six commandments, which deal with the relationship between people. Don't kill. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't be jealous of your neighbor's stuff. Don't cheat on your spouse. When you think about it and see them on the page, they actually seem kind of obvious. Each of these second set of six items stand to safeguard some element of our physical or emotional health and welfare. Centuries after Moses received these commandments, Jesus was asked which of God's commands was the most important. The question was meant as a trap. There was no way to prioritize one without diminishing the others. Jesus replied by saying, Love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. But there is a second set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are like pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophet hangs from these two pegs. When we distill God's law in this manner, we begin to see that it's about expressing our love for others, and not simply about blind obedience to a legal code. 
But what's the application for us today? Well, the first thing is to try to recognize this list as what it is. A guide to living a better, healthier, and arguably simpler life. At its most basic level, this means acknowledging that we are not God and that we are not in control of everything. It also means considering and treating others in a manner that we would want to be treated ourselves. It's in this way that we are given a framework that fosters healthy relationships with God and with other people. It's about choosing the option that best fits within these parameters in any given situation. There is another part to this text which the Apostle Paul helps us to understand. Paul once wrote to the Romans, saying, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that is what I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, that's the thing I keep on doing. Paul helps us to acknowledge and admit what we already know deep down. We're human, and we don't always get it right. Let's be honest. I think it's pretty safe to say that most of us can make it through life without committing murder. I'd also wager that most of us have not built some kind of strange shrine in our basement. But that also does not mean that we're ticking all the boxes all the time, either. There are times when we do things that we shouldn't, and other times that we don't do the very things that we should. There are times when our priorities are simply out of whack. We don't always recognize our relationship with God for what it is, and we try to exert our will or our desires without considering what Jesus often referred to as the kingdom of God. Likewise, there are times that we place our wants and needs over the needs of others, failing to recognize others as being made in the image of God and as people loved by God just as we are. The uncomfortable part of the Ten Commandments is that if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that we don't always live up to them. Whether we call it temptation, weakness, or whatever label we put on it, the fact is that it wouldn't be an issue if there weren't alternatives that we found somehow appealing or attractive. But this admission comes with some good news. Not only does God offer us forgiveness, God also directs us to forgive others as well. Since the earliest biblical accounts, we see God walking through the cool of the evening breeze, calling out to the disobedient Adam and Eve so that their relationship might be restored. God spoke through the prophets to express divine love to the people of Israel. Ultimately, God showed up in the person of Jesus Christ to extend the message of God's love for all of humanity. In each case, this compassion was not based on humanity's merit, but rather it's an expression of who God is. The only catch is that we each have to come to a place where we can admit our shortcomings and our need for God's love and forgiveness, and then learn to extend those things to others. Let's pray. Eternal God, give us insight to discern your will for us, to give up what harms us, and to seek the perfection we are promised in Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Amen.